Blog Talk Radio. Join us 
by calling in at 323-679-0841 and share your views and perspectives on the various issues that we will address tonight and we say all the time. We must understand the value of information because it is through information that it allows us to think. And we must appreciate the greatness of organization because it's only through organization where we can think more clearly. So we, so we try to combine those two forces together and create a program that can best serve you in tooling you towards helping you liberate your people. Again, it helps you liberate humanity from all the various forces of oppression. Again, we welcome you to Africa on the Moon. Like always, the way we get started with our party is that we will discuss the first half of the program, what's going on in your world and community, followed by a discussion on the theme from various important articles. And to get started on this road towards liberation, like always, we get started with our party by introducing our political panelists and analysts for today's program. At this time, we'd like to bring in and welcome Brother Anthony to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Our objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Okay, fine, Brother Anthony. We now we're bringing Brother Haki. We'd like to welcome Brother Haki to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness. And, of course, you know, my thing is all about institution buildings. You know, one of the things, Brother Africa, uh, you, know, you know, as I look at the demonstrations taking place throughout the country and throughout the world, I'm impressed, at least with people's willingness to acknowledge there are some systematic problems in terms of the way business is conducted, you know, in the context of uh, a lot of these, uh, these societies. And so in understanding that, uh, while I appreciate it, the reality is that a significant amount of more understanding has to be accomplished in terms of understanding precisely why these injustices persist in society. So I think one of the things, and when we talk about the structural inequality of capitalism, uh, we have to keep that in mind and to understand that when we talk about things like police brutality, police killing the innocent people, then we understand it's all part of a system. And because it's part of a system, then we understand, you know, uh, structurally, you know, why these things have to happen. But in any event, I read this article and um, about uh, about the situation in terms of demonstrations. I thought it's interesting because one of the things it doesn't do, it doesn't um, entail anything, discussion at all in terms of, you know, why police killed in the first place. So anyway, let me just read this. Let me just read something to you that I wrote. That I thought was very, very interesting. But anyway, uh, Kelvin has said, uh, he's a UN, I'm sorry, U, excuse me, White House economic advisor, stated, and I quote, U.S. capital stock, end quote, that is, his workforce has not been depleted. Interestingly enough, Stock refers to domestic livestock like pigs, goats, cows, etc. But when applied to humans, the term stock was used by eugenics advocates to determine what characteristics or human traits were most desirable. Eugenics practiced a racial script predicated on the scientific views that define ethnic groups, i.e., Irish, the Poles, indigenous groups, 
of Asians and African people. Hassett's theme of human stock is relevant in the fact that the 40 to 50 million people whose jobs are likely to be lost as a result of COVID-19, there is still a manic need for unskilled labor on some level. Now, of course, the reduction of labor, unskilled or otherwise, has unique consequences for the maintenance of capitalism. Often there are discussions around scarcity. Media would have us believe scarcity is a result of too many people on the planet, and as a consequence, jobs, health care, and schooling are casualties because of poor decisions made by poor or working-class people. Structural problems of capitalism are never addressed. The reason for this oversight is clear. Now, one of the things when we talk about the structure and equities, and one of the things we have to understand is the problem in terms of growth when we talk about capitalism. One of the things, because we have a, a capital-based society, it used to be where an industry ruled in which you actually you know, created products. Now it's all about capital formation. And so what happens is that you have a situation where in order to get rich, you don't have to create anything. All you have to do is invest. So it creates a real problem in terms of the capital system because what happens is that because people don't have people are not creating anything, that the only way to make money is by investments. And so in, in that sense, uh, because you can make money by investments, you really don't need an industrial base. You really don't need factories. You really don't need workers. You, don't re, you really don't need innovation. All you need is capital. All you need is money. And so what that does fundamentally creates a problem in terms of flow of money goes through, through the system, which means that as a consequence, uh, the system becomes poorer and poorer and poorer, while the rich people become wealthier and wealthier and wealthier. So in other words, what you have is an exponential increase of poor people or people who are not wanted by the capitalist class uh, who presents a fundamental problem for the system at large. And so the police job is essentially to manage or to control the, the means by means of people in which the capitalist system has no need for. Now, by highlighting the structural problems of capitalism, we better understand why the extreme poverty and why scarcity claims are convenient scapegoats, but just as important spread of destruction that engulfs the planet. To illustrate this point, let's look at the economic term overaccumulation. Overaccumulation is defined as enormous amounts of capital or profits accumulated, yet this capital cannot be reinvested to make profit on businesses or products. And as a consequence, the money is best placed in offshore accounts. Since the velocity of money flowing through the system is how capitalism grows, financialists must create ingenious ways of encouraging the capitalists to spend money into the system. One way to get the capitalists to spend money is to monetize poverty. In other words, monetize means creating ways to make money off of poor people who, who, <coughs> who capitalism has rendered superfluous, irrelevant, or unimportant. Now, one of the easiest ways to make money off African and poor people is mass incarceration. Wealth elites can now invest in prison construction, which is built, excuse me, which is built by our tax dollars, but privately run by corporations that can create investment opportunities for wealthy people throughout the, throughout the planet. This private prison boom, while spearheaded by the U.S., currently exists in 33 different countries, including South Africa. Another aspect in terms of modernization is resides around gentrification. Now, gentrification fits perfectly in profiting off African or poor in the cities. Now, it's important to understand when we talk about this concept of gentrification, precisely what we're talking about. Essentially, what we're saying is that what has happened historically is that the powers that be have allowed the housing stock uh, in these in these urban communities to decay, uh, which for, for compel people to leave which in turn makes it possible for people uh, who have a financial interest to move in, 
to acquire those properties. Uh, and here's the catch. Once they acquire those properties, they receive monies from the U.S. government for the sole purpose of renovating those properties to make them habitable, to make them fashionable, to make them a, a place anyone want to live. Well, that's fine, but the problem is that those people who, who, who fled because of the poor housing stock are not allowed access back into those housing stocks because what happens is that when they go to the bank and apply for loans, the banks refuse to give them loans. Banks will only give loans to white individuals. So those Africans who have economics, who have the pocketbook, who have enough money in terms of purchasing a home or to not access those homes. So the consequence is that you create a, society, uh, a city which is all white. And so this is what gentrification does. But the bottom line is that in the process of doing this, the corporations who own these properties make billions and billions of dollars. Now, now, his, now it's important that the African community understand the implication of monetization because it's all around us. You know, from government investments to war, from financial speculation to stock market Ponzi schemes, from government sales of high-power weaponry, both national and internationally, to intelligence agency surveillance, from police killing unarmed citizens to cops being exonerated by the courts, it's all about money and a declining capital system with no credible means of growth. So we have to understand clearly where we, where we fit in terms of the scheme of things and understanding that because the capital system has no need for access labor, the question becomes what are you going to do with all these people you don't need? Of course, one of the things is that you can do, of course, you, you can mass incarcerate them. That's one of the things you can do. Certainly one of the things you can do is create conditions in which, which are favorable to that destruction. So in other words, if people don't have access to health care and you have proliferation of diseases, then you make sure that they eventually succumb to those diseases. Even though it's a very, very protracted process, but unless it's very, very effective, when you, particularly when you look in terms of the, um, social economics and you look in terms of the impact of, you know, of diseases on the African community, which is disproportionate. And this is by design. This is not a fluke. So people have to, in the African community have to begin to understand the nature of the beast, and this is very, very systemic. So our response to the suppression has to be systemic. So we have to create system institutions to combat this, because without that, if we simply think that demonstrations or we simply think that articulating uh, a, a need for change is going to do it, then we're fat, sad and mistaken. We have to understand the history of this thing, and also not only the history, but we've got to understand in terms of the, the, the vested interest in terms of maintaining the status quo. And if the status quo interest lies in something other than the interest of human beings, then African people specifically have to begin to understand that we have no other recourse but to fight back. But we've got to be intelligent in terms of how we fight back. But it's, in, it's key. So we have to build those institutions. I encourage African community to build those institutions because without the institutions, it makes them all the more difficult in terms of actually fighting back. And on that note, Brother Haki, what we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for the calls. We're going to take a Robert Shirts station break, and when we come back, we're going to encourage our listening audience and our panelists today to talk about what's going on in that world and the community. This is Africa on the Move. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
what's going on in your community, your world, in the community, Brother Anthony? Uh, several uh, seemingly unrelated uh, events uh, going on. Um, to start with, uh, in occupied Palestine, uh, the police in Tel Aviv are using uh, massive repression to uh, uh, to quell the opposition to the annexation of the West Bank, uh, which um, you know uh, you know is needed for the expansion of Zionism in uh, Palestine. And uh, the people are fighting against that. And um, around the world, there are people showing solidarity with the struggle of Africans, uh, you know, against uh, police repression in the U.S. There was a big demonstration in London uh, over the weekend with people, uh, uh, you know, uh, kneeling. Uh, you know, as a show, uh, you know, a show of solidarity with the, uh, you know, with the Africans struggling inside the U.S. and also uh, the uh, the uh, the repression and brutality against Africans is continuing, even uh, e- even though these demonstrations have shed a spotlight on it, is still continuing, and. Um, Numerous Africans are being killed or injured uh, because of that. Uh, you know, if not being outright killed, at least suffering, uh, you know, things like fractured skulls, uh, loss of eye, uh, uh, you know, et cetera. And, uh, and also the U.S. is stepping, uh, is still stepping up its pressure against Iran uh, for uh, show, uh, for aiding uh, Venezuela during its uh, you know uh, fuel shortage uh, crisis. So those are some of the things that are going on in my world. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And before I bring on Brother Haki, I would like to make this announcement to our listening audience, just to inform everyone that one of our analysts and panelists has become um, very ill. Brother Robert Moses, and he's not doing well. We'd like to send our best wishes and blessings to Brother Moses and his family, and hope our brother get well. And um, we certainly miss him. So we just want to let our listening audience know that the reason we don't hear him today is because he's he has been hospitalized and he is um, trying to recover from from an illness. So our best wishes and love go out to our brother Moses. Now, Brother Haki, I'd like to bring you back in, and you can tell us what's going on in your world in the community. Yeah, first, let me, let me just uh, concur with you, Brother Africa, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, our best wishes for Brother Moses and his struggles, uh, you know, with his health. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, uh, bro- Brother Moses one of the fan favorites. Uh, people love uh, hearing what Brother Moses has to say, and so, therefore, you know, we certainly hope he recover and, and return because you know, we, we definitely miss him here in Africa on the move. Uh, now, having said that, let me uh, just say this, Brother Africa, in terms of the community. Um, when it, recently, you know, we, 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 most of us are familiar with Amy Cooper, the young white woman in Central Park 
who accused the uh, the, the brother of uh, threatening her and her dog. Of course, we realized, you know, just how contrived, uh, you know, uh, this whole situation was. In fact, one of the things was so ironic was that when she talked, when she got on the phone and talked to the police, she embellished. She actually made it made it appear as though she was being threatened by this by this man who was simply taking her picture with her phone. Uh, and it's interesting in terms of you know that she intuitively understood that the two words was important in terms of you know uh, uh, inviting police actions. One, he was an African, and secondly, he was threatening her. So we so essentially what, what it was was stereotypic. Uh, she conjured up stereotypic views in terms of what it is that constitutes African people. The notion that African people are somehow violent, when in fact when you look at the history of African people, African people are very very um, spiritual, very, very nonviolent in terms of the way to conduct business, how to conduct life. And that continues even to today. Even the worst of circumstances in Africa, some of the most spiritual, the most peaceful people that you ever want to meet in the planet on Africa. And you got the mob at the fact they're giving us immense poverty, the injustice, the suffering that is taking place on a daily basis in large segments of African, African society. The mere fact that African people can maintain the composure, the dignity, their self-esteem in the face of all of that speaks volumes in terms of the kind of spiritual development, which is so much part of the, the, the African uh, motif. So clearly, you know, this woman understood in terms of the role of uh, the role of racism in American society, and she was attempting to use it uh, to get what she wanted, namely is uh, to uh, come and not only just assault this African man, but actually kill him because he had the audacity to impugn the integrity of a white woman. So that's very, very interesting. But it doesn't stop there, Brother Africa. There was a second similar case in, in Manhattan. And I got to tell you, what, what, is, what is so shocking about this is the fact that this is not happening down south. This is happening in northern cities, particularly the great New York City, the melting pot of, all human, the, melting pot, uh, of the country. Uh, and every every ethnicity in the world is represented in New York City. So this notion that that this notion that um, that certain neighborhoods belong to certain people is so ironic. It's so crazy, is that only a person who has no concept in terms of uh, the landscape of uh, New York would even some conclude that the possibility exists where um, uh, only certain neighborhoods uh, exist for certain people in in New York City. I mean, you have your enclaves, don't get me wrong, but there's a notion of that, but, but New York, in terms of being diverse as it is, that you have people from all walks of life, people from all ethnicities all over the place. So neighborhoods, um, historically in New York, as been less of uh, um, you know, a place where you know, particular types congregate and more of a place where people across the board, different ethnicities congregated all over the place. And so there's a notion that somehow, uh, you know, that... Uh, that when this woman says to to the, to, the, to the young African sister, when she says to her, when she approaches her, she wants to inquire why she's there, because the young sister Janae Janae Garcia is sitting on a on a on a, uh, a, a bench uh, by the bus stop, and she wants to inquire why she's there, and she, and, and and so the young sister's position was that I'm here, you know, um, sitting here, you know, I'm minding my business, I'm just sitting here. Well, her position was this young woman. Her name was Savannah. Split Lana from, by the way, she's married to a millionaire who's an XCO official of a Jaguar. Her position was that, that her setting there was simply uh, a threat to her, her to her life. She in turn got in the police and called not once but three times, complaining that there's a black woman setting in her neighborhood 
who's threatening her. You keep in mind she's only a couple feet away from from the young lady, and she's saying that she's threatening her. So clearly, again, we have these buzzwords, black and threatened. And so, therefore, the 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 the, the implication being that by saying black and threatened, the police should immediately come there and suspend some ass whipping. You know what I mean? And so, so it's ironic that you know the same kind of strategy employed by Amy Cooper was also uh, employed by this this Spitlana Flom. So very interesting. Well, it speaks to the kind of systematic racism and kinds of uh, that exists in the minds of so many people. And one of the problems, and I think um, the brother, um, uh, the brother um, with, the, with the brother with bald head, uh, who's a lawyer, uh, he talked about the fact that one of the things in terms of uh, the biggest fear is not so much from racist white people, because you know where racist white people stand. The biggest fear is from liberal white people who say that they're liberal, who say they understand. In reality, have internalized all the racism that the racist white folks have internalized, and so, and because they are disingenuous in terms of acknowledging that, they but they want to pretend like they are they're not racist, but in reality, they're racist at their core. So, his audience name was Van Van Jones. Uh, Van Jones was the individual I was referring to, and he 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 did an article talking about the biggest threat in terms of white liberals. It's the same thing Malcolm X talked about. It's the same thing Martin Luther King talked about. It's the same thing, you know, Marcus Garvey talked about, you know. So, so, you know, so when I look at these 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 movements taking place throughout the world, throughout the country, I'm happy that people are acknowledging the fact that there are some systemic wrongs. But the question is, how much are you willing to move beyond the rhetoric and actually do the work in terms of trying to bring about some kind of redress, some kind of change, fundamental change in terms of the way business is done with these governments around the world? That is the critical point. So I'm waiting to see how much this transpired into people actually doing work who say that they're concerned about in terms of the racial, the racial um, injustice that inflicted upon African people, not in the U.S., but throughout the world. So we'll wait and see what happens. But anyway, these two particular women sort of epitomized a kind of um, uh, internalized racism that is so much part of the Western world. And until people who internalize racism begin to question racism openly and honestly, and that's no way possible in terms of in terms of them to, to, to empower themselves to really move to create societies which are racist free and societies which is which is geared toward, you know, the elevation of, of humankind and, and not destruction uh, of people or property or the world or the planet for for that sake, for that matter. Um so we'll see what happens. We'll we'll see what happens. And um, um we'll wait and see. And uh, I'll be watching very, very closely. Thanks. Brother Anthony, you have any response based on what you heard from Brother Haki? Any scenarios you'd like to shine in on? Yes. Um, uh, I think, um, uh, let's see, I, I, I concur with Haki's observations. And uh, I think a major problem, uh, a major thread that runs through what he described is this notion of European privilege, which is characteristic of all settler colonies, by the way, not just the U.S. And uh, and uh, it's a and it's a pattern, uh, you know, that goes back as far as the days of uh, Marcus Garvey. And uh, and uh, part of the problem is because. We we have not done a good enough job of teaching our youth our history. 
we keep repeating similar errors. And I want to make clear, history is not repeating itself. It's just that we repeat similar errors. And uh, and um, and also, uh, I want to add that the uh, the class struggle inside the African community is intensifying because you have some forces that are calling for fundamental change, such as abolishing police forces, which is something uh, you, you know uh, different, and also and or defunding. Uh, police and allocating the resources uh, to things that would prevent uh, crime and delinquency, like uh, funding for schools, health care, and, uh, you know, employment opportunities. But, on the, uh, uh, but then on the other hand, you have uh, some Africans that are very critical of um, – of how George Floyd was, uh, you know, was being regarded inside the African community. Uh, I'm referring in particular to a commentary by Candace Owen, uh, which, um, you know, which was shared, uh, you know, in in an article, uh, you know, sometime last week, where she she contended that... um, uh, that uh, that Africans tend to, to, to tend to celebrate uh, people at the lowest rungs of uh, you know society, uh, you know to uh, to make it as concise as possible. And um, and the thing about it though, she do, um, she doesn't even understand that a lot of times criminal charges against Africans are trumped up, or Africans lack sufficient resources to afford to afford an adequate legal defense, and um, I think uh, you know a major problem is that uh, that Africans have to understand that our problem is systemic. It is not a case where you have a few bad apples in the police force. That's not uh, that's not the case. Not that every police is is necessarily going around, uh, you know, uh, beating up Africans, but uh, but the pattern that emerges if you look throughout the U.S. is that it's a systemic problem, not isolated incidents. Yeah, you know, so, one thing. Let me pick it back on something Brother Anthony is saying, and that is. You know, one of the things that happened during the, the Nixon administration uh, back in the 70s is that that's a, uh, they, they employed a strategy called uh, class stratification among the African community. In other words, what they would do, they would play up certain voices in the African community, and they would give them legitimacy by putting them on television, putting them on radio, uh, putting them in newspapers. In other words, they, they, uh, they elevated their sense of importance by essentially telling people that, listen, these people are important because we endorse them, and so therefore what they have to say Listen to what they have to say, and so the strategy is a, is a very, very old strategy. So I'm not surprised that they take the the most ill-informed among us to elevate them, to give them a platform. That is partly how the game is played, and so therefore we can't take seriously the analysis of people, uh, certain people in the African community, particularly with a conservative bent, in terms of analysis. And this is not to say that there are not African, some conservative Africans who have a very legitimate point of view. Those conservative Africans who advocate you must do for yourself, 
I totally agree with that. So Clarence Thomas is absolutely correct. Uh, the bottom line is that no matter how much we would like to see fundamental change exist in society, if we don't make a change ourselves, then it's not going to change. So I do applaud those conservative voices in the African unity who understand the fundamental objective historical reality that African people are confronted with. But for those Africans who don't have a damn clue in terms of the history of our people, who don't have a damn clue in terms of political economic systems, who don't have a damn clue in terms of the nature of brutality, who don't have a damn clue in terms of the systematic uh, killing of African people, I don't, I don't give them any, any credence. I don't even dignify them by even talking, talking about their name. Only I'm responding to Brother Anthony raised it up. Otherwise, I wouldn't even talk about it because I, I realize the game. So I'm not going to legitimize some dumbass, you know, who's saying things which are totally ridiculous, you know, as, as somehow it has some credibility. But it is important to highlight this whole class issue in terms of African community because one of the things is that often when we have these kind of discussions, you know, uh, we have engaged in this kind of discourse, there are those among us who say, well, listen, I live in the burbs. I got a big house. I got nice cars. Uh, I don't worry about uh, feeding the family. I don't worry about the schools, best schools in the country. Uh, and their position is that, you know what, my concern is not your concern. I don't give a damn about your concerns because as far as I'm concerned, everything is good. And we do have that. That's no question about that you have that mindset and that class issue in the African community. But certainly one of the things that these, these, these movements are doing around the world is to bring clarity to this notion in terms of, you know, simply because you have access to these things doesn't fundamentally discount on any level the reality of the racial, racial or, 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 or class oppression that takes place, you know, in society. So it's good that you have these, these, these movements taking place throughout the world to sort of highlight, to sort of contrast that ridiculousness in terms of the whole class divide. Because certainly if we don't come to grips in the African Union with the class divide, then moving forward is very, very difficult to do. It doesn't mean that uh, it can't be done. It simply means it's become that much more difficult because people with the, with the skills, people who with, with, with the, um, with the, uh, with the is understanding in terms of the kind of things that are going on can be very, very valuable in terms of bringing about you know, some clarity for the masses of people in terms of compelling them to understand the necessity in terms of doing things in terms of organization to move forward. So they would be, they would be, uh, they would be, certainly they would be, um, and invited to to participate in any kind of forum which speaks to the terms of needs of African people. But the same token, we understand that certain certain things that they articulate, we understand are not in the interest of African people simply because not only is it fraudulent in terms of the things that they say, but it's ahistorical. And so that's the most that's the real danger. So people like this individual that Brother Anthony talked about, yes, they exist, and they get cleared and they get visibility simply because they're ignorant. And so therefore, because they're ignorant. Uh, they serve the interests of a ruling class. So none of us should be surprised about that. You know, panelists, before we take our next station break, I would like for y'all to speak on this issue of what is the difference or distinction between racism and white privilege? It's open. Okay. Uh, the 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 distinction is that Racism is um, is broader in the fact that uh, that racism entails uh, oppression of uh, one group of people by another based on ethnicity or race, uh, regardless of the races involved. 
white privilege specifically refers to Europeans, uh, their privilege as uh, as the rulers in settler colonial societies, such as the U.S., Canada, Australia, Israel, etc. And uh, so uh, that's the distinction I would make. Um, white privilege is sort of an advantage that Europeans enjoy because of their oppression of other other peoples and you know in the society very good point very good point as a matter of fact i was reading an article by a young lady i'm sorry i can't recall her name out of australia and she was talking about in terms of you know when she interact with whites in terms of the 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 uh the absurdity of whites saying well you know i don't see color and she's saying, well, of course, as a white person, you know, it's very, very easy to say you don't see color because it's your interest not to see color, at least express you don't see color. But in your heart of hearts, of course, you, you see color. And so when she talk about the systematic oppression of the aborigines, the so-called aborigines, or the original population of Australia, uh, when she talk about the historical wrong inflicted upon them uh, simply because of the color of their skin, uh, she understands that she and she inherited a benef- benefits in terms of her white skin. And of course, she realizes that you know it's something that it's something that she, she didn't ask for that. Uh, it's something that she was happened to be born into. She didn't ask for it. And so, but she does understand that when she goes to interviews, uh, when she goes to to a restaurant, or when she goes to a place of leisure, then she understands that the way she's perceived is totally different than say her her fellow countrymen. Uh, in America, uh, it's a similar situation. So white folks say, "Well, listen, I don't see a color." Uh, which is ironic. And uh, one of the things uh, is, is a very funny joke that goes around. I mean, when white folks say you don't see color, you say, uh, "Damn, how do you drive your car? I mean, with with the, with the red, green, and amber lights, can you see one one color from the other? Can you, can you discern one color from the other? Since you don't see color, so how the hell do you manage to navigate the streets without getting accidents? Because you don't see color." So in any event, it, it just goes to just goes to underscore, you know, the 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 um, the, 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 the insidiousness, you know, of um, of, of of racism. Uh, you know, one of the things is is it's very difficult thing to acknowledge because in acknowledging racism, you have to acknowledge that you that there are there are there are, there are, there are victims, and they're also uh, victors. And of course, as a white person, you're victors because those same standards they use to criminalize or to oppress or to marginalize a group of people is not applicable to you as a white person. You as a white person is not going to be judged by your whiteness, but you as an African person or a person of color will be judged by the color of your skin solely. And so therefore, you go to the interview irrespective of how educated you are, how erudite, uh, how intelligent, it doesn't matter. You're still, you're still a person of color. And so, therefore, that person who interviews you or looking at you clearly sees who you are. And most instances, a lot of those resumes end up in the garbage can because the people because they see who it is that they're interviewing. Uh, so, even with something as simplistic as your name can disqualify you from your from your from the right uh, to to uh, to receive uh, employment. So, so it's so this racism thing cuts cuts very very deep. And so one of the things, so when we talk about white white privilege, then uh, a lot of white folks will never acknowledge they have privilege because in order for them to acknowledge they have privilege, they have to acknowledge they have a head start against people of color for nothing other than the fact that they are people, they're, they're, it's their skin color. And so therefore, you know, um, you know I, I think it's important that we understand, you know, that, um, you know, it's, it's not an easy process in terms of confronting this reality because nobody, nobody wants to acknowledge 
uh, that they benefit from a system when it's systematically oppressive. Nobody wants to agree or, ben- or, or acknowledge they benefit from such a system. Of course, people get silent. And one of the things, there's a book called um, uh, Why White People Are Afraid to Talk About Race. Uh, there's a reason why. I mean, because once you start talking about the impression of a people, then inevitably you got to ask the question, where if, if people are oppressed because of the color of their skin, then what does that mean for me? Does that mean I'm not oppressed because of the color of my skin? And once you realize that you're not oppressed, but you're not oppressed because your skin happens to be white, then you come to realize that you become part of the problem. And this is what a lot of white folks don't want to deal with. They don't want to acknowledge that they're part of the problem. And so, therefore, they run from this question in terms of your white privilege. They, no, 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 no white privilege. I, 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 I work hard. I work hard. You know, I, you know, I. Uh, you know, I, I started from the bottom. I worked my way up in the organization, you know, and now I'm making a lot of bit of money, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and ironically, you know, uh, you know, see, since you got an opportunity to work your way up from the bottom, well, for people who, because of color of skin, don't even get an opportunity to get into the organization to work their way up to the top. There's no opportunity for that. So clearly, you know, there's a, a real problem. And so, therefore, you know, it, it's one of the things that, you know, we have to speak forcefully about, even though, it may not be palatable to a lot of folks in terms of this discussion around white privilege, but nonetheless, we have to talk about white privilege and racism because the two go hand in hand. And I'm assuming from your last description, Brother Haki, is that when you talk about white people, European be, becoming part of the problem, <laughs> excuse me, is that they are part of the problem because, one, they refuse the knowledge that there is a problem, and two, if she was to not to want to attempt to try to um, address it, that's what given the foundation being part of the problem. Um, am I correct in terms of your understanding? No, you're, 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 you're absolutely correct. I mean, the whole thing is that, you know, by denying the problem exists, then you can sleep better at night. But here's the problem. Those historical wrongs inflicted, inflicted upon African people uh, is now being inflicted upon white folks as well, not just poor white people, but middle-income white people who at one point were middle-income who now can't find work, who are now struggling to survive, just as historically African people in society have been forced to struggle to survive. So now they have to struggle to survive. If they were to heed the warnings of African people, you know, hundreds of years ago in terms of the fundamental uh, oppression that existed with racial African people, then you know what? This problem that white folks are currently confronted with wouldn't have been an issue. So I'm hoping that white folks don't continue to make that same mistake in terms of not acknowledging and moving to change systematically uh, the system, all the kind of ills that, in, that, that in, in, inform the system. I'm hoping that white folks begin to understand that it's in their best interest now, you know, to, to work with other people, other oppressed nationalities, other oppressed communities in terms of trying to overthrow this craziness because without a fundamental redress, a fundamental change in the system, I'm not talking about reform, this system has to be destroyed, period. I'm not one to advocate reform because I know you can reform all you want. Barack Obama came to power on, on the guise of what? Reform. Well, he did. He reformed. He reformed a lot of things. Uh, you know, but in terms of anything meaningful in terms of the, the, the masses of African people, zilch, nothing. And so, therefore, if we're talking about fundamental uh, elimination of all kinds of social ills, we talk about end to a, a mass oppression. We talk about end a mass of mass uh, incarceration. We talk about the end in terms of people not having access to food and affordable housing. None of that stuff is possible unless you fundamentally destroy this system. And so, I make no bones about that. So, you know, people like they get like shocked, like, "Oh my goodness, oh, you're radical." 
Well, you know, you, you know, radicals, this is a perceptual thing. It's all in what you believe people are saying. You know, but my whole thing is not to be around the bush and tell people to listen. Engage in reform is enough to bring about the fundamental redress in terms of what's going on in terms of the kind of injustice inflicted upon people in society. Because the reality is not. All this stuff is state-sponsored. It's state-sanctioned. And because it's state-sanctioned, then you've got to understand that police killing innocent people, innocent African people, police brutalizing people, both poor African and European. Uh, this, this, uh, when you have some people don't have access to affordable housing, people don't have access to health care, people don't have access to quality schools, all of this stuff is sanctioned by the state. So the state does not have a compelling interest to address these issues. Why? Because a small number of people in the society benefits greatly from the mass misery that's facilitated as a result of these policies and laws that have been acted you know, by, by people in positions of power. So we got to we got to fundamentally think about what it means in terms of you know uh, justice in its in its in broadest sense in terms of what that really means. Do we really do we really believe in justice? Do we really believe in democracy or or in the sense democracy in the sense the greatest good for the greatest number of people? Or we talk about an egalitarian system in which the greatest good or the concern of human beings is primary, not the profitability for one percent of the population. So we have to ask ourselves seriously, and I think now that the situation is changing and white people increasingly are becoming uh, uh, desperate, uh, I think increasingly more and more white folks are beginning to beginning to understand the, the legitimacy in terms of the historical uh, gripes, uh, con- con- historical concerns of African people have been waging, you know, for for hundreds of years. So hopefully, you know, uh, uh, the young white people will begin will begin to seriously take take into consideration that there has to be a fundamental revolution in society in terms of bringing about the kind of society that we all want and uh, we all uh, we all need. Before we go on this break, Brother Haki, I thank you and again. Do we truly believe in or do they truly believe in freedom? From the outset, that can clearly be questioned. So anyway, we'll continue the discussion on what's going on in our world and in, in the community. When we come back, we're going to pause for this call. You're listening to Africa on the Move. So vast, so great, the African embrace, the color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings. Human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace. Live beyond love beyond your skin. To where you belong.
Plant the seed for everyone So all the world will know That Palestine, Palestine needs, her needs her freedom Palestine, Palestine needs our love Needs our love Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom her freedom, Palestine, Palestine needs our love. We would like to welcome you back to Africa on the move. As host of Africa, we're in the seat, and we'll take the heat. As we define it, we'll stand behind it. We're speaking on the issue of what's going on in your community and the world. Feel free to call in 323-679-0841 to share your views and perspective of what's going on in your world and community. If you have any comments or questions, please make sure you hit 1, hit 1, and we'll acknowledge your last four numbers. If you'd like to speak or have any comments, please hit 1. Right now, we go back to your political panelists, the analysts for the day, Brother Hackey, Brother Anthony. Uh, one of the things earlier when we were discussing what's going on and y'all were in the community today, is that recently there was a issue that took place in Buffalo, New York, where two policemen society for physically abusing a elderly European man, and as a result of doing that, uh, they were recommended, but at the same time, you had the whole health, the whole emergency department, those who take emergency calls, et cetera, they decided to be in solidarity with the police to resign the whole department. What do you make of that kind of behavior? What does it say about a society where you got groupings of people uh, willing at this point in time come to the aid and support adult policemen who have, who have criminally um, acted in a criminal matter? Brother Anthony and Ian Hockey, your response to that scenario? Sure. That uh, shows that the problem is systemic, as we indicated earlier, and that it is not uh, and is not uh, isolated. Now, Leslie, uh, the uh, the police involved indicated that they were under orders, and that's why they pushed the, uh, the, the they pushed the man, and uh, and the uh, and the uh, the 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 emergency department. Uh, resigned in protest uh, because uh, b- because um, uh, let's see as far as uh, as far as the ruling class in uh, in this society is concerned, police can do no wrong. That seems to be the prevailing attitude, and that's something we uh, you know we have to fight to overcome. But it is it is going to take a lot of work and a lot of struggle. And that work and struggle has to take place primarily among us. Uh, we cannot, uh, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, solve every, every people's problems, but we can, uh, you know, uh, you know, resolve ours, which is our lack of organization. If we were better, org- uh, if we were organized as a people, then we could fight for systemic change, which is what it's going to take 
uh, to prevent uh, these uh, incidents from reoccurring. And uh, and um, you know, and the fact that uh, that it was, um, uh, you, you know, and this is starting to the the, the transcend transcend nation class lines. Uh, I read an uh, read an article ab- uh, about a, a congresswoman in Ohio that was gassed at a demonstration. And um, you know, uh, you, you know, she, she, uh, you know, she was an African. So, um, you know, you're, uh, Europeans that show solidarity uh, with Africans and, and and Africans and and other oppressed people are being uh, persecuted by the police increasingly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. You know that. That incident was disturbing on many, many levels. Uh, keep in mind, Brother Africa, you know, when they walked down the street and the elderly gentleman attempted to ask a question, they, they just summarily pushed him, knocked him down. I mean, that speaks to not only a certain kind of callousness, but it speaks to a kind of um, uh, cowardly uh, disposition uh, that is so endemic to so many in the, in the police force. Because one of the things that, you know, it's easy uh, to exert power when you got the numbers, you know, when you got the numbers, um, you know, uh, to back you up, it's very easy to exert a sense of power. Uh, what would you do if, in fact, the odds would turn if you were unilaterally by yourself and it was a group opposing you? Now, would you be willing to push people if that was the situation? I would guess they probably wouldn't. So there's a certain amount of cowardice that exists in terms of the criminal organization. In addition to that, you got people who are virtual traditionalists in their views. I think one of the things is that um, they, uh, their position is that you know the, the system rules, and so therefore their position is that we're here to support the 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 uh, the, 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 the dependents of the system, and therefore you know, anybody who we perceive as in opposition to those 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 laws or those rules. We perceive as adversaries, so it doesn't matter whether you're an older gentleman, a woman, uh, uh, unarmed, uh, praying. It doesn't matter what. The mere fact that you dare challenge their perception in terms of you know order uh, means that uh, you know that, you know some you know some early you know just you know uh, assaulting people is the preferable thing that they do in terms of you know trying to resolve what essentially could be resolved in peaceful means. So I think one of the things about Africa, you know, it's good that. Uh, the police chief suspended the two without pay, and that's great. Normally, they suspend them with pay, but the police chief actually suspended these two clowns with, 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 uh, without pay. But also, Brother Africa, the thing is that one of the cops actually tried to come over and help the elderly gentleman up. The cop who pushed him down grabbed him and said, no, 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 you know, no, no, don't help him up. So it seems to me you know, this kind of um, bullying, this, 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 this carte blanche attitude in terms of you know, power. You know, uh, at, at 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 all cost. It's something a prevailing theme among the minds of a lot of police officers. Until we eradicate that theme, we got a problem. But er- but the problem is, this, brother Africa, in terms of eradicating that mindset, is a very difficult thing to do, because you got a system which, in effect, um, sort of uh, legitimizes that kind of behavior. See, as, as long as there's order within the police ranks, then it's, then there's there's no problem. But see, as long as the order imposed upon the citizenry, then that's exceed, deemed acceptable. Uh, I think also one of the things is that, you know, when we, when we talk about the police department, we can't get away from this whole concept in terms of productivity. 
In other words, normally when you do a job, is measure, the job is measured by how much output, how much you put out, how much you create, how much you produce. Well, with police, it's a bit different. I mean, since you're not creating anything, not producing anything, the question is, how do you measure productivity? Well, productivity is measured in terms of how many people you arrest, uh, how many people you give tickets to, uh, how many people you beat up, how many people you shoot, uh, how many people you brutalize. All of that is, is, is in, in world of the cops is productivity. So it's a very strange way in terms of looking at productivity. But nonetheless, that's how they see productivity. So I'm not surprised that they pushed that elderly man down because, in other words, they, the, the perception was that that elderly man, shouldn't, he, when he saw them, he should immediately ran. I mean, he should immediately, you know, got out of their way. Uh, even though it's a public sidewalk, uh, he's got a right to be there. The other position is that this, we're coming through, we own all of this, and so therefore if you don't get the way, you know, we're going we're to we're pay a price for that. And they did. They pushed the man down. He hit his head. He ended up with a concussion in the hospital because some cowardice act by some damn cop. Now, one of the things I advocate, you know, and um, is that I think it's important, you know, that we have these community forums where we have, the, you know, we have these fight matches between the police and the community. You know, I, and I'm, I've been trying to get the uh, police department to sanction these ideas. Well, how about some boxing matches? So, so you know, these cops get the opportunity to engage the community in a way in which they, they think is appropriate. So you want to fight. So you want to assault people. Let's bring it, bring it to the ring. We'll fight it out in the ring. You know, this way it's legit. No one gets hurt. And then you get the opportunity to express your aggression or expose your discontent with someone's political position or someone's uh, 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 quality of life or whatever. So uh, that's one of the things I've been advocating for in terms of doing that. Of course, that's not going to happen. Because, you know, if you did that, the, the lines would be way down, I mean, be miles long of people who want to get in the ring to have the opportunity to go, to go head-to-head with police officers. So that ain't going to happen. So I know that's not going to happen. But that's one of my dreams. But in any event, so the mere fact that they pushed them is, 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 is par for the course. So I'm not surprised at all they did that simply, in particular, when they are mandated, you know, by the powers that be all the way from the federal government to the state to the local to actually do that kind of thing. Okay, right now we have a call on the line. We've been waiting patiently. We're going to bring this calling in. Uh, we'd like to uh, hear views and comments and maybe what's going on in his world community. We're bringing call on 3468. Call on 3468. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Your comment or question, please. Uh, I would like to respond. My name is David. I would like to respond to the discussion on the issues that you guys are discussing. I think that this problem goes back 500 to 700 years of how, once we were colonized as an African people, that we have been demonized. Our history, our continent, our people, and Africa and the diaspora. And for us to resolve these racial issues, we have to go back to the historical origin of history, which they refuse to have these discussions in the classroom since we've been colonized in America, in Africa, in Europe, in the Caribbean. In the historical origin of Europeans, they came out of caves in Europe. They were very barbaric, very violent. And their behavior to this day has not been about building civilization. Their behavior has simply been reduced to building larger and stronger armies to further colonize, exploit, and oppress. 
all over the world. If we have those discussions, we will destroy the myth about who's civilized and who's uncivilized. It is a fact that Africa has produced the largest and the oldest civilization. They still exist on this earth. Oldest books, books that go way beyond the Bible. So the Bible is, is, is not true. It's a tool that was created by the Roman Empire, the Roman Catholic Church, and priests to move into Africa, hoodwink and trick the people, and steal our land and brainwash the entire world. So we have a problem. Capitalism, imperialism, colonialism, settler colonialism, neocolonialism, apartheid, and Zionism have produced millions of nuts, racist nuts, all over the world with big, powerful weapons that think in their mind that they're superior. And we have to reduce that by having the ideological struggle and producing the facts because we all got computers in our hands. Simply Google what is the historical origin of Europeans. They came out of caves in Europe. Then Google what is the historical origin of African people. We have libraries, we got books that go thousands of years way beyond the King James Bible. So they put in missionaries on us, mercenaries on us, they're using a force on us, they're using a propaganda machine, which means that they control all the narratives. If you Google and really think, and look at the narrative on YouTube on all of our revolutionary uh, Pan-African and socialist leaders in Africa, the Caribbean, and Latin America. They are even writing and narrating our stories on, 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 on our boxers, on our artists, on our musical artists to put their expense. This is, the, this is the enemy doing this. So if our people want to Google Kwame Nkrumah, this story is not written by revolutionaries out of Ghana or revolutionaries people who are in the revolution. This story is written by the colonial slave master who, again, is trying to control the narrative everywhere. He controls the narrative in the classroom by, by discussing, not discussing, world history. We need to learn about China. We need to learn about Japan. We need to learn about Africa. We need to learn about the Caribbean. The world ain't just made up of America and Europe. So how can we, with PhDs and degrees, fall so stupid to this form of education? Then they control the narrative on the news, uh, the mainstream media, which is the capitalist and imperialist enemy controlling the narrative. If we're going to watch what's going on with the, this is not a riot, this is revolt and what we call a rebellion. And we got millions of our youth with phones. The best told story is the youth who's out there on the front line narrating the story with their phone in their hand. It's better than Fox News, CNN News, because it's controlled by the masses. That is the narrative that we need to follow. The Fox News, CNN News, all of this is controlled again by the enemy. So they control the narratives in the church with the fake Bible and the fake white plastic dolls and fake white Jesus. They control the narrative at the school system by blocking, blocking out African history and not discussing it. They control the narrative on the mainstream media. They control the narrative in the books. 
but we got a major problem here. Our African revolutionaries need to make sure that we control the narrative for Mother Africa. We control and we challenge these. We challenge these Caucasians, these cave men and women, because they're still acting like cave men and women when they move all across the continent. And first of all, they lie. This is what's making us be being attacked. It is Caucasian people, young white people, who really believe that we are inferior to whites. And that is not true. If we built civilization, and they did maybe two or three drawings on a cave, maybe it's not, maybe a little more than that, but they just got some drawings on caves. We built civilization. So we need to wipe out those lies. And that will intellectually make everybody who walks the earth highly respect an African when they see an African. Every major invention that Caucasians enjoy was created by African people. And here it is, you want to wipe us out? We've even created the navigation and the Europeans attached it to a bomb. So we have to fight this ideologically. And we have to fight to make sure that our history, not just our history, we need to learn about what was China's accomplishment, what was Japan's accomplishment, what was the world, because this European is out of control. That is not world history, what they're teaching our youth. When we deal with that one, we're going to wipe out a whole lot of lives. So this brainwashing and racism is deeply embedded into the police department, the school system, it's everywhere. All of them need to be fired, re-educated, rehabilitated, and some locked the hell up. Okay? They have messed up. What American capitalism and imperialism is producing is racism and hatred spread it across lies, racism, hatred, and barbarism. They're not building civilizations. They're destroying civilizations. And we must distinguish the two. America has over 800 military bases. That's not counting her, her allies. So the CIA is a problem. The FBI is a problem. Uh, NATO is a problem. AFRICOM is a problem. We got all of these people who do nothing but tear down uh, 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 civilizations. And this is spreading hatred across the world. They're messing up the world so damn bad, we now they need a meteorite to hit the earth and start us over again. This is how bad they have passed the greed and the lies. And you want to tell our people that they're looting when they take taking some toilet picture or some food. When you've been looting Africa for her mineral resources, I've seen some articles that I've studied that says for 700 years, not, not five, 700 years. Take our wealth, put us in poverty all over the world, demonize us. Say we're sickness and we're laying up on the system. Well, if you've laid up on the system of Mother Africa because America and Europe would be equivalent to a third world nation without Africa's mineral resources, and that's not counting Africa's labor that has been taken during the result of slavery. I can make it real simple, and I'll conclude. We don't need America's. Reparations. We need America to open up the airports and Europe to open up the airports. Just Google who's the cradle of civilization, and you can find it out in a few minutes. It's Mother Africa. Keep your reparations. Let us all fly the hell out of here. 
and get the hell off our continent, take NATO and all your military junk and get off our continent. Open up the airport and let us start flying out. That's what we need to do. Because we don't need your reparations. We're filthy rich. We need you to get off of our continent is what we need. We need China to get out too. Because China is doing some of the same exploitation and oppression. China has not has done as much as America and Europe has. Europe and America have been doing it for hundreds of years. And Russia hasn't done it to the, to the degree. So our people need to learn the history. We've been playing. And we're sitting up here thinking that we're making progress because some cops need They're institutionally messed up in the mind. They're messed up. They're racist as hell. You don't resolve a problem by our cops sitting up here now and now meeting. Then I've seen another video, another, uh, video where the National Guard is doing electric slides. That's not progress. You're a sucker if you fall for that. They're messed up in the mind. And we got black National Guardsmen and black cops doing it too because they've all been brainwashed and indoctrinated. As a matter of fact, our entire society, the world, has been brainwashed about politics, history, world history, politics, I mean, political science, sociology, philosophy, mathematics, geography, and religion. This is what European imperialism, how well they have destroyed the minds. Of the world, so we're fighting. We're fighting ignorance, so we can go down the streets and get attacked because of the ignorance that they have spread all over the world. Even even Caucasians, good, nice Caucasian people, could be attacked by someone black who's ignorant now, who's brainwashed, and be created a race war. Latinos attacking black people. I mean, this is they spread worldwide ignorance. So I'm going to conclude, but we have to clean this up by demanding and fighting that not just African history, world history. We have a right to know China's accomplishments. We have a right to know Japan's accomplishments and Africa's accomplishments, the world's accomplishments, and we need to tell this European white boy who's out of control, who came from cage, he don't have the right to dictate to the world That history is supposed to be just a uh, native of America and European, and we're falling for this. We need to fight. Even white folks need to fight for that because their children are being lied to. Soldiers are being drawn into war losing their limbs on lies. They've lied to all of us, and, the, and that's the ruling class rich, 1% ruling class rich elite, which is manipulating us all against each other, and we all killing each other to save and protect them. And the way you expose them is we got to go back to the historical origin, and the back to the historical origin is Africa produced the uh, the largest, the oldest uh, civilization, and the facts are still there for you to see. You just simply got to fly in. Europeans came out of caves, so they need to they need to humble themselves. If you came out of caves and we built civilization, it is clear that you are not superior to us. I'll end it at that. All right, Colin, I'd like to thank you for your comments and go to my political panelists. And this one of the things the caller did mention was the issue of the importance of controlling the narrative or something. Earlier in one of the dissertations, uh, panelists, you talk about how
how a European woman painted a picture that she was being attacked in the park by an African man. And one of the things came to mind, historically speaking, is that even during slavery, slavery, it has been recorded that you never could find one African man who really who raped the African women, even during the time period of slavery. That's just something historically African men have never done. So this question is narrative we are attacking these women, that death is something they have created. But just speak to the whole importance of, um, as the caller talked about earlier, the importance of controlling the narrative of, of this whole phenomenon that's taking place right now, um, panelists. I think he raised a number of uh, points, uh, critical points. Uh, in terms of controlling the narrative, uh, I think it starts with controlling the education of our youth. We have to do a better job of ed- educating our children uh, uh, to, uh, about our history and our struggles, and from our perspective. And uh, it's a lot of work, but it means that we, uh, it may mean that very often we have to supplement what they're getting in the school system with uh, educational programs of our own. I think that's critically important, and that's something, uh, and, that, and that's something um, a lot of us fail to do in the drive for desegregation. And uh, in that, we, we, we left the education of our children up to other people. So as a result, you get a lot of ne- uh, uh, neocolonialist forces. In other words, uh, uh, you, 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 you know, uh, basically white bodies and blackface uh, controlling the narrative, and uh, and and uh, the way you put uh, you put an uh, end to that is that our people have to be permanently organized. And uh, I hope that this is a lesson that the masses of our people take from these rebellions that are taking place all over the U.S and all over the world, for that matter, in solidarity with our struggle. And, uh, and also, I think it's important that we, we put the rest of the, the fact that Africans on the continent don't care, uh, don't care about what's going on in the diaspora. They do. It's just that up until recently, they did not have access to the knowledge. Uh, necessary in order to respond. So I think it's critically important that we share information among our people as much as possible, and that uh, we uh, and that we it, we push our people to join an organization because it's easier to unite a group of organizations than. Uh, you know, individuals scattered, uh, you know, in different directions. Yeah, well, you know, Brother brother David certainly said a lot. Uh, I appreciate uh, his comments. Uh, clearly, Brother David had a lot on his mind, and, and we really appreciate that because that kind of discourse we, we, we love to have. You know, the thing is that in terms of controlling the narrative, uh, one of the things Brother Anthony is absolutely correct, uh, one of the things we have to do we have to create those institutions to make sure our children get additional educational instructions after school. They have to. 
because the school's got the best interest in making sure our children do not understand who they are. Because a lot of kids don't understand who they are. They don't understand the accomplishments of their people. Then they continue to uh, accept uh, those kind of uh, uh, archetypes or those kind of stereotypes uh, that uh, society uses to define who our people are. So we have to have these. We have to have these institutions in place to make sure that our children grow up understand precisely who they are and their contrib- contributions uh, to you know to humanity. Secondly, uh, the brother talked about the fact that he talked about the level of insecurity among uh, white people, and of course. Uh, one of the things that's very, very clear, when you, when you talk about uh, this whole question in terms of superiority, one of the things you understand, if I'm truly superior, then I don't have a need to, ex- to exploit or to oppress anyone, uh, only if I'm truly superior. If I'm not superior, then I oppress people. Because why? Because um, not only am I I'm self-conscious, but I'm insecure. And so, therefore, that causes me to oppress people simply because I'm insecure. So the question becomes, so why are so many white people insecure? Well, clearly, uh, the brother talks about in terms of history that was stolen, and that's no question about it. When we talk about the origin of human beings, that's no question about it, and we go right back to Africa. And so when we talk about these African people, you know, migrating throughout the planet, uh, clearly the African gene exists in all of us. And, in fact, uh, when you look when, scientifically, uh, when, they, when, they, when, when the scientists took it and looked at an electron microscope in terms of analyzing you know, the, the, the prevalence, or prevalence of the African gene in human beings, they looked at all ethnic groups, and they looked at their blood and found out the African gene present in all of them. So clearly, uh, the origin of human beings go back to Africa. Now, here's the thing that Brother David, I might disagree. It's important we understand it's true that they, they came out of Caucasus Mountains, but keep in mind, and I think it's important that Brother David don't forget this, they came from us. They came from us. Mm-hmm. Those Africans mm-hmm. who migrated to the Caucasus Mountains who eventually, because of environmental, uh, environmental conditions, uh, skin pigment change, hair change, nose, and so forth, Keep in mind, originally they were African people. So therefore, we have to understand that we can't isolate their behavior from the behavior that we may exhibit. We potentially can be abusive. We potentially can be uh, violent. Uh, we t- potentially can be uh, brutal. We potentially can discriminate. Those those potentialities exist in our people, in African people as well. So we have to be very fair about that because if we acknowledge the origin of human beings going to Africa, then by the same token, we have to be fair and acknowledge that when we talk about all all people coming out of originated out of Africa, that we understand that this expression, this human expression in terms of what it is to be human, uh, also uh, is, is, an, is an indictment of who we are as a, as, as a people, because we're one organism. Because we're one organism, you know, some of us do good, some of us do poorly. Some of us behave well, some of us behave less well. well so we got this, this, this duopoly of reality that, does, that exists in all of us, and so we got to understand that. But he's absolutely correct. You know that Af- that that all people come out of Africa, and that's no question about that. Nobody's going to dispute that. Anthropologically, biologically, genetically, uh, historically, nobody can refute that. No scientist on the planet can refute that. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the things I recently read was uh, a brother out of China uh, who was uh, who was uh, who was a um, anthropologist it was on the assumption that uh, the life started in Africa. I mean, in China. And some white people, some white anthropologists told him, said, no, 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 I think you got your, your facts wrong. You got your history, your understanding. And, and, and when you reappraise uh, the information and when you look at it and when you assess that information, and clearly all, all, all indicators point to Africa. And he went back and looked at the, the scientific studies and information, and he concluded, he said, damn, they're right. 
life originated in Africa. He didn't go back and say, listen, despite the reality that life in Africa, let me go back and, 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 and push uh, Chinese uh, uh, imperialism, or let's push Chinese uh, superiority. He didn't do that. He went back and told people that, listen, we were wrong. We thought life originated in China. We come to find out it originated in Africa. But he was, secure, he was secure in his own being enough to say that I understand the reality. And it doesn't make me less of a human being simply because my origin goes back to Africa. As a matter of fact, it makes him feel better about who he is because he's understanding the relationship between himself and the rest of the world. So clearly we, we, we get, we, this kind of insecurity that's manifested by white people is an indication that uh, white folks are, in fact, very, very cognizant of the reality that life started in Africa. And they know that. And this is one of the reasons why they continue to downplay that. In this book, uh, written by uh, Edward Bruce Bynum, Dr. Edward uh, Bruce Bynum, it's called The African Unconscious. Brother David, if you get an opportunity to read that book, please read that book. Okay. Uh, it's a very, very good book. Please read that book. But anyway, he outlines a lot of the concerns that you have, uh, and he talks about the, the particularly the, 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 the gen, uh, gen, genetics in terms of the origin of human beings, in terms of the role of melanin, in terms of the impact it has, in terms of what, the way people perceive things, how people feel, even the kind of music they produce. So he talks about that. So it's very, very interesting. But all this information is very, very pertinent. But the problem is that, you know, we can't comp- at this point we can't compare white people to learning history. They're not, they don't have a vested interest in learning it. So we got, we got a lot of the white listeners who listen to this program, you know. Now, out of that number, I don't know what number actually compared by virtual listening to this program, but compared to actually go back and say, let me go research the stuff these guys are talking about. My guess is that not many are willing to do that because right now as it stands, it's much more uh, economic uh, um, um, advantageous to believe, you know, that white folks are superior. So even though if you look at in terms of the kind of, the kind of history that, that's, uh, that's um, enacted by white folks, then you've got to question yourself, say, well, damn, for superior people, you do a lot of dumbass things. So why is this destruction of the planet? Why the hell are you creating nuclear waste? And what you know, you can't even dispose of it, but yet you could continue to create nuclear waste. What the hell is wrong with you? Why do you create systems to make sure people are impoverished so people don't have access to food? Does that make you feel better about yourself? Or be, well, you would think as a human being, it make you feel less better about yourself. You have a system in place to make sure people don't have access to food. What about education? Why do you erect a system which you know damn well the things you're saying are erroneous, they are lies, but yet you do it anyway? Are the guys that's going to make you feel better, feel better about being white? Doesn't that speak to the kind of insecurity that exists in the minds of white folks that you're willing to uphold things that you know are wrong, for lack of a better term, that you know are evil, but yet you uphold them? So clearly this insecurity in white folks does exist. And that's not the browbeat or put down white folks. Because like I said, all people go back to Africa. So it's only one human, there's only one organism, human organism. That's a human being. We're all related. We're all related. Now, it's important, important at some point that white folks begin to understand that reality. And lastly, Brother David, let me say this. I'm, I'm particularly perturbed by the fact that in Africa, a lot of times, African children are not taught African history in Africa. I know to a large extent it has to do in terms of tribal sensibilities. I know sometimes, you know, you got... You know, you got different tribes with different histories and so forth and so on. And so people are mindful that you don't want to create a, a situation where uh, tribes become adversarial, and you don't want to do that. And so you're careful about how the history is presented. But it seems to me that you bring the best of every tribal group in terms of the history and combining that to make one historical text is the way to go. Because African children must understand the reality of what's going on in Africa. They must. So one of the things, when I look in terms of military interventions in Africa, and I look in terms of, 
the uh, the uh, the exploitation of African people on the continent uh, on the continent of Africa, and I said to myself, my God, these these kings and queens, these scientists, these these um, these um, these 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 people, these these original individuals. I mean, they're being manipulated, you know, by people, you know, uh, you know, uh, who, who 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 lack such a such a grand history, but yet they're be, the African people are manipulated. So what is can we do? What is it? What is it about these African leadership that they're willing to um, acquiesce to whatever the European powers want to do? They're willing to do, even if their acquiescence means that what you're doing is fundamentally destructive to your country, to your people, and to your aspirations as a society. So why is that? I fundamentally believe that if African children don't understand African history, then they'll be prone to be manipulated. And this is a fundamental problem we have. And the question of class is apropos here, because you do have Africans who don't think it's in their interest that African children learn African, African history. Why? Because by keeping African people dumb, they make them prosper. They can make all kinds of business arrangements with the West and make tons and tons of money. It's sort of akin to what's happening in the churches in America. Why do most African, uh, African preachers don't tell their congregations the truth about who they are, their accomplishments, and the reality in terms of historically what it is to be African in, in American society. Why they don't educate the, 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 the congregation? Why? Simply, there's money to be made by keeping the, the congregation ignorant. So this is a fundamental problem we have. So, Brother David, I'll close with that. So any comments that you have, Brother, I'm sure Brother, uh, brother uh, Africa can facilitate that. But I thank you for calling in and your, and your, uh, your, uh, question, your, your, your response. Uh, was a very good one, and um, you know we need that kind of discourse, and, and we encourage you to, to to keep listening and keep calling in. If I could say a few more things, please, before I leave, if that's okay. Yes, you have the mic, brother David. I I, I think again, uh, when I made that analysis, it says that we have to fight at whatever level that the his the truth be told about history, and that means even if it means that we have to take the progressive whites who won't, truly want love, justice, peace, and equality, boycott, march on these damn schools, demand that the curriculum be changed on the question of history. We have to fight for the truth because when we don't do this, we're building, it's not even a civilization. We're destroying civilization, and we're building societies with lies, with hatred, Racism, uh, war, death, destruction, and poverty. It is in all of our interests at whatever level we came on this earth from a historical perspective is to tell the truth so we can build a new world, a new society that includes everyone. But we can't do this by demonizing African people for over eight to seven hundred years. This is putting us in a position to be attacked, to be hated by all races of people when we walk down the street. So that means they have done five to seven hundred years of psychological uh, damage, and then you put weapons in these people's hands. We got idiots walking around with big weapons, the National Guard, the Army, Air Force, Air Force flying planes, and don't know nothing about world history. Very dangerous, very dangerous, dropping bombs on people, killing their own people, stupidity. This is what we're dealing with. I agree, and I call this bar- uh, 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 barbarism. We're creating a world of racism, hatred, poor, uh, poverty, 
of destruction, war, and barbarism. That ain't building civilization. But anyway, I conclude. But we need to fight that these uh, curriculum boldly out in public. We need to organize with white people who want a better world, with Latino people, with people from the Caribbean, all Asian people, and fight and demand that the truth be told about history because this is the only way we're going to put this earth back on the right track. And that's not to make us superior than, than others. Blacks ain't walking around talking about we're superior to white people. It's white folks walking around with, the, with this, uh, with this uh, attitude. So we need, to, we need to put the education there correctly. And we'll, we'll be moving to build one world, one culture. You can't dance as good as us, we'll teach you. We'll teach you how to dance as good as us. We'll teach you how to play the guitar as good as us, play the saxophone good as us. But stop with this barbaric behavior and racism and hatred. Go ahead. I, I, I'm finished. Okay. Could I add oh. something, uh, Brother Africa? The mic is yours, after. Sure. Uh uh, I, uh, listen, you may, uh, I want to add to some points that David made and also to what Haki said about, um, you know, Africans on the continent not knowing much about African history. I think that's a consequence of the fact that, uh, that, impi- uh, that capitalists sent in missionaries to Africa first before they sent in their troops. And it was these uh and it was these uh missionaries that demonized African culture. That's where the attack on our people started. And uh and 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 because of that we uh a lot of Africans look down upon our culture and our people. Uh and uh and because of that history and and that was under colonialism. And uh, when Africa got its nominal independence during the 60s, one of the things that was not done was to change the educational system. It was still in the hand of missionaries and colonialists. As a result, neocolonialism is rampant in Africa today and uh, throughout the world. And uh, it, st- it starts with um, with religion and education. So we have a lot of work to do to undo the damage that was caused initially by the mis- missionaries, but perpetuated by colonialists and uh, neocolonialism. And uh, we have to, uh, you know, fight to change the educational system our children are subject to. And we have to make sure that while we're fighting for that change, that we teach our youth the truth about our history. Well, panelists, uh, before we go to our next station break, I'd like to have somewhat of a response for each one of y'all as it relates to what's going on in our world community is that recently, the past weekend, in the city where I live, we have seen convoys of military soldiers setting up and stationing, stationing in police stations inside of various uh, African communities. What can we make of that type of movement? Uh, 
it sounds like an intimidation move. Uh, uh, in addition to beefing up security in that area, uh, you know, it's the, uh, sending in troops is, uh, is designed to intimidate the people, uh, to try to, uh, try to scare them into silence and to acquiescing, uh, to their oppression. And, uh, that tactic was tried uh during uh the urban rebellions that took place during the 60s uh particularly uh in north new jersey where they sent in uh uh armed uh, uh you know tanks into the cities in order to intimidate the people yeah well i i, I think it's indicative of the, of the times that we live in brother africa one of the things, you know, when we talk about the structural uh, anomalies, of what we call capitalism, we have to understand that the bottom line is that there's a tremendous amount of people in which capitalism has no clue in terms of what to do with. When you have a system which systematically uh, give large sums of capital to the very wealthy, 1% of the population, and expend all others, then you inevitably you leave a situation in which lots of people are homeless, desperate, poor, and, uh, and looking for a way out. Well, this kind of desperation leads leads to uh, action, and oftentimes the action that it leads to is a very destructive one. And so, therefore, those people in the position of power understand that it's inevitable that people are going to uprise, and when, certainly one of their biggest fears is that the, the masses of folks are organized when they rise up. But that certainly doesn't happen. It's a process that has to take place. First and foremost, people have to understand, begin to understand, people have to understand that in terms of rising up, you know, uh, there are certain uh, realities you have to confront in terms of rising up. And so, therefore, when people rise up, then we can anticipate the police in terms of a brutal response. And if people will learn from that, the next time that you rise up, then it has to be more oily. It has to be much more calculated. It has to be more organized. And so, therefore, you get to the point where people begin to understand the importance of organization, and then ultimately you'll win, the people will win. But prior to but prior to people winning this, this struggle, uh, the people in position of power, position, their position is very clear. They're in it to win it, and they'll do it. They'll they're going to do it at all costs. If that means fundamentally uh, killing hundreds of thousands of people, if it means and turning millions and millions of people, that's certainly what they're going to do. So when we talk about the National Defense Authorization Act, they talk about internment of of, of, of people in society. Well, by the way, they're talking about internment camps already set up in seven different states. They're talking about disproportionately imprisoning African people. Now, why disproportionately intern African people? Why? Because historically, African people have always been enforced in the consciousness of America. African people have always been trying to change the system and make it more humane. And so, therefore, because of that, then what we have to say, not only do people in the country listen, people throughout the world listen when African people speak. And so, therefore, they understand that. And so, therefore, this, 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 this the pursuit of internment is part of a larger strategy in terms of uh, 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 preventing, you know, a uh, uh, large-scale uprising. So this is this is this is this is what so this is what you we're confronted with. So nobody should be surprised that we talk about implementation of you know of national guard in, into the cities. Nobody should be surprised. This is all a test run. I would even add that when we talk about COVID-19 in terms of the virus, it's nothing more than a test run. This is all this is all planned. I mean, even the French got to got to acknowledge that um, not only did the virus not originate in China, but they said it was uh, originated in the lab. They're not going to say it was originated in the U.S. lab, but I'll say it originated in the U.S. lab. So clearly, this is all part of a test run because the people in positions of power, the capitalists understand that their days are numbered. 
You've got millions upon millions of people with no hope, no future. What do you think they're going to do? What choices do they have? When the system fundamentally says that you have no right to exist as a human being, then on some level it rubs you the wrong way. At some point, after all the drinking and all the cocaine and all the heroin and all the crack use, you come to the realization you've got to fight. And that's precisely what's happening. So these, these, these rebellions that are happening throughout the, throughout the country, throughout the world, is an indication that people are getting towards a, a state of consciousness and when they realize that at some point I'm going to have to fight because talking about it simply ain't going to be enough because the ruling class position is that we got the power, we got the money, we got the weaponry, so we're going to maintain control at all costs. Of course, you don't understand history very clear on that point. No imperialist power remains in power forever, but they're so arrogant, so much hubris exists in the mind of capitalists, capitalism, capitalism. They're convinced that they can kill enough people to maintain hegemony, and it simply doesn't work that way. So nobody should be surprised when we see a large intingency of, uh, of, of a national guard in the cities because it's all part of a test run. And keep in mind, uh, you know, when we talk about in terms of the kind of viciousness that the police employ in terms of killing innocent people, it's nothing to compare once the, the national guard is activated and they have the power, of, uh, the full power of the federal government behind it. So we can definitely anticipate even higher numbers in terms of casualties, in terms of innocent people being killed uh, once the National Guard has its mandate to actually inhabit these, these cities. So uh, we I would like, uh, I would like to say something if I could. If I could, could. Brother Dave. Go ahead. We are winning. And we are winning because it's a worldwide movement that's moved by the masses. Of all of of, of, multi, of probably about all races and nationalities worldwide, and the entire international world can see the barbaric behavior of American and European capitalism. Okay, so from that standpoint, all we have to do is teach the truth about history. It wages psychological warfare on the soldiers. Cops are already quitting in New York. New York. All we have to do is teach the history, expose the enemy, because he kept all the soldiers ignorant and trained the soldiers, and some of his own soldiers will turn on him with their powerful skills and weapons and, and things of this nature when they learn the truth about history. So we got the masses looking the world. All we need to do is teach world history, and we'll turn, we'll turn the soldiers on each other, okay? Because all of them are brainwashed and indoctrinated. Because you shouldn't be using those kind of weapons on civilization. And by the way, we have the opportunity to teach them what socialism means. Under socialism, there's no landlord. The land is free. The land belongs to the people. Under capitalism, imperialism is landlords. Under socialism, you get free medical care, free education, not free from the fact that somebody's flying out the air giving it to you. The people build the society, and we rise together in a society. In capitalism, you have a class society that produces racism, discrimination, class discrimination, and it's all built on lies. So we got the world watching. We need to use our intellectual skills, historical, philosophical, and, 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 and uh, our, our psychology. To just teach the truth. And many soldiers will put their weapons down. Some of us think the solution is we got them kneeling, kneeling. That means they're losing. But we ain't supposed to fall for that. 
They're brainwashed. They're messed up in the head. Some of them is uh, the, the National Guard is doing electric slide. We ain't supposed to fall for that because they still brainwashed. This is not progress because they kneel with us and they do the electric slide with us. Come on now. But we live it. So we need to really pump the history. We need to really pump what's going on because we're able to let the pastors see how they can kneel here and around the corner. They're still putting a chokehold on our kids. They're still shooting us. We're not supposed to be that stupid and that naive. So we got to keep the heat on. And history can play a very powerful role when the entire world is watching. It's time for us to really pump some political education and tell the kids, just Google it. You don't have to believe me. Google the historical origin of the Europeans. Google the historical origin of Africa. You got a phone. You got a computer. Ask it questions. That Bible cannot stand up against thousands of years of history, of, of books, of libraries that we have in Africa, which means it is a lie. It's lies, it's mysticism, it's uh, uh, lies, mysticism, what's the other one I want to say? Allegories. And that's no disrespect to people's religion, but we got to do research. Somebody come with something in 1605 and we got. We got a ten bucks too. Come on, that don't even add up. It don't even add up. We listen to somebody who come with a Bible that was created in 1605, and we created ten bucks too. And we they have messed up our people all over Africa and all over the diaspora with doubt. And we got some preachers who think that they really know everything. We need to intellectually challenge them and show them that the theology curriculum was created by the Roman Empire, Roman Catholic Church. And the best you've been taught is how to be charismatic liars, charismatic, uh, what, what is the other word I want to say? Charismatic liars, pumping, mysticism, and allegory. Lies, mysticism, and allegory. And we shouldn't follow nothing that we can't ask questions. No preacher that, 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 uh, that we can't ask questions. No preacher or no book, no Bible. Come on. This is where they're tearing us tearing us people. But they're tearing down civilization with it. They're pushing ignorance, which can backfire on their own Caucasian kids. Their own Caucasian kids get attacked with, by spreading ignorance. But I'm, I'm going to let it go there. All right, listen, audience, you listen to Africa on the Move, Part 2, Forces in Motion. But where is it going? Of course, that will be a continuation next week to Part 3. So when we come back, We'll be doing our closing thoughts for the night. This is Africa on the Moon. That's up. That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Okay, one nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Lumumba was democracy. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure. I'm not gonna 
strip was getting bomb, Obama didn't say shit. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America could stand the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame? When they dropped the bombs out of them planes, using depleted uranium, babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal, and nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck who's cunning, articulate and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man, neo-colonial puppet, white power with a black face. He said, "Fuck it, I'll do it." A master of the sky, expert at telling lies. Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. Should've known he was trained in Chicago, where the chairman Fred and Mark talk. What they do in the dark will come out in the light, like a WikiLeaks site. So I guess the crew was right. Who's ready to fight? Last stage of imperialism. I ain't kidding. In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye, this ain't living. President just bombed an African country like The Jonas brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans, but uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you, predator drones. <laughs> you will never... Hey, welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. We've been discussing part two, forces in motion, but where is it going? We would like to inform you that Africa on the Move is a weekly program under the direction of the African Awareness Association. 
So you can hear us every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. U.S., we encourage you to call in, share your views, share your perspectives. If you have any commentary you'd like to write us, please feel so to do so by writing us or emailing us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at com. Right now, we can go with our closing thoughts for Part 2 with Brother Haiki and then followed by with Brother Anthony. Brother Haiki, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, you know, the uh, the oppression African people face exists on multiple levels. You know, unfortunately, we give a lot of credence to uh, the, 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 the local Nazi, you know, on 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 a corner, you know, and we talk about in terms of the kind of potential threat uh, they represent. But the reality is they represent very little in terms of being in a position to actually inflict harm on the African community. The much broader danger, the much larger danger, of course, is the, uh, the people in position of power. Those people in the suit and ties, uh, the people who are, uh, have five hundred dollar, uh, five hundred dollar for uh, lunch meals, the people uh, you know who are positions of power, uh, the people who inhabited the Congress and the Senate. Uh, those, is, those are the people who constitute a, a legitimate threat to the interests and aspirations of African people, and as such, constitute a real danger to African people. Then we talk about in terms of laws and policies passed by individuals in positions of power. Then clearly we understand that a lot of these laws, a lot of these policies are in opposition to the interests of African people. And as such, we understand, we have to understand the implicit danger that these, these laws and these policies represent. So we have to have organization. We have to have organization. Uh, when I, earlier I talked about the systematic oppression of African people, then if the oppression is systematic, then it seems to me, then certainly the response of the African community has to be coordinated and systematic. It's, very, it's that simple. Uh, and I do realize that you have to class the visions of the African community, but despite it all, we, those of us who will have a conscience, those of us who understand the reality of the situation, we have to organize. And the same thing I'm close, simply encourage people again, please, to unravel the matrix. It's important that you understand the nature of the beast because all, clearly understand the nature of the beast, there's no way to fight against that which you don't understand. Well, Brother Africa, you have a good night. And to uh, Brother on the panel, Brother David and double, brother, uh, brother, brother Anthony, you have a good night. Uh, thank you, Brother Haki, for your contribution to today's program. And Brother Anthony, you'll find the thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that we must organize as never before. Uh, the days are gone when when Africans uh, can afford not to be in a political organization that's working for their people's liberation. One sort, one such organization is the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC. You can find out more about us by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org, or calling us at 202-246-4896. Uh, thanks very much for having me. And remember, Pan-Africanism is the ultimate solution to the problems of Africans worldwide. And on that note, we'd like to thank all our listening audience, our supporters and friends, and remind you, join us next week, same time, same station. And just to put it bluntly, we still must continue to strive to get you who. We are not yet free, nor are we not yet liberated. 
On that note, we'll see you next week.
wearing chains, living in pain. Today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, to last through my journey. Yeah. Time will arrive when we must. To get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been. And made it through my journey, yeah. And made it through my journey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters. From Benin to Salvador Bahia, a scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino is the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, 
and all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be, to know that I've been here, and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey. 